if you want to make change in your life, if there feels better than here, gentleness and persistence, persistent gentleness and gentle persistence are the way to do that thing. Welcome, everybody, to the Jeff Mara podcast. Tonight's guest is a very interesting guest. Her name is Catherine Clarenbach. She is an ordained minister in the Unitarian Universalism and an initiated priestess in the tradition of Stone Circle Wicca. She brings the message that change arises when gentle, persistent, and persistent gentleness are the watchwords. Um, and tonight we're going to talk about how a Catholic girl became a Wiccan priestess. Catherine, thank you so much for joining me this evening and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I think we're going to have a lot of fun. I hope so. So let's let's start it out. Uh, let's. We don't have to go through your whole life of being a Catholic girl, but let's start about when oh, you were a, Catholic. There's a lot in it. <laughs> when were you Catholic and when did you lose your religion, like R.E.M.? Mm, mm, very much like R.E.M. Yeah. Well, my whole family is very musical and artistic mm -hmm. and invested in the arts. And so when I was like three, you know, parents get this thing where they think, oh, maybe we should go to church or mm -hmm. synagogue if we were sort of vaguely Jewish but hadn't been attending and now we're going to... My parents had this feeling. And so they decided what church to go to between the Episcopalians on my dad's side and the Catholics on my mom's side hmm. by which one had the better music program. Oh, all right. <laughs> and this is very important because throughout the time I was Catholic, so when I was essentially, you know, knee high to a grasshopper, until I was 17. I was, I played in the handbell choirs, three of them. I directed children's choirs. I sang in a girl's choir. I sang in an adult choir. Mm -hmm. I led worship music stuff. Mm -hmm. So on Christmas and Easter, that meant that I had to go to mass four times, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, for each one. Mm -hmm. um, and I really loved the, like, the rhythms of Catholicism. Right, you have Advent in the winter and Lent in the spring. Oh, okay. I thought meant I thought maybe when you're speaking of rhythms, actually during Mass, because you are kind yeah. of up, down, kneel, up, down, sit, <laughs> kneel, stand up, down. If I'm, I the, think I'm correct aerobics, about that. You're kind of up and down, Zumba, right? The Zumba of uh, of religion. And let me stop um, you there real quick. I kind of basically grew up not going to any church. Mm -hmm. So I only went to church as if I spent the night in a friend's house and went to church the next day. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But from what I remember at Catholic, there really wasn't music. It was just kind of singing and that was it. There was no like some of the churches to now is like you're going to a concert, you know? Mm -hmm. The the church I grew up in was much more the latter. Uh -huh. Like we had amazing choirs that – um sang and we always talked about how it wasn't performance mm -hmm. because it was part of a religious experience for people right so it had to be like more i don't know spiritual somehow than performance but if you ask me the line between like sacred theater and ceremony and worship pretty thin line <laughs> it's kind of hard to tell sometimes but we had a lot a lot a lot of music in my parish oh yeah it's very interesting that you put it that way because i kind of can understand where you're coming from um mm -hmm. for those of you in the audience that are listening or watching we've never met each other until like five minutes ago so she doesn't know anything about me and even a lot of you guys may not know much about me but one of the things i am is also a musician and i've played on stage quite a bit so Sometimes when the music is just all in time, clicking, everything is rocking, it, it's like an energy, almost like a religious experience. So Absolutely. I could totally, and I love the way that you put it. I thought you put it sacred performance. I think that's the words you just used. And I, I really, I, I said sacred, sacred theater, but sacred, sacred theater. performance too. Yeah. And, and if you yeah. really are just 
feeling the music and you're focusing and you mm -hmm. almost can become one with the music. At least I felt I that have way. an expression. Yeah, yeah, totally. I have an expression to describe that feeling in my life, which is that when it's all, when everything comes together like that, it's as though I am invisible to myself. Hmm. Interesting. Like I have no awareness of myself at all. Right. It's just the music. Right. It's just music. And it's the music is, it's like I'm a verb. Do you feel like you are the music? You actually, Kinda, yeah. you become the music. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So I met the Pope when I was 16. Really? Pope, was that, yes. jo I don't know your age. Is that it was Pope JP John? JP2. John, okay. It yeah. was JP2. Wow. John, John Paul II. Is that in the I'm, 80s? I'm 47. Okay. So we're close to uh, the same age. Late 80s. Yeah. Late I remember 80s, when he yeah. came in the 80s. Um, How well, was no, that? No, I met him in Rome. Really? How, can yeah, tell us about I that. sang all over. I sang all over Italy, hmm. um, uh, partly on my own and partly with a choir, mostly with a choir. Uh -huh. And um, I got to sing uh, John Paul's favorite song to him in Polish. The wow. only time I've gotten to sing in Polish in my life was for that. And I say got to sing in Polish, kind of in quotation marks, mm -hmm. because, because I'm more of a romance language girl, give me Italian or French any day. Yeah. <laughs> the Slavic languages are not my first choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'd want to see an opera in Polish. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you were Polish, I suppose. Right. My brother, who's a musician, if he were listening, he'd be cursing my name right now because uh -oh. all the like Russian and uh lithuanian and like all those guys in contemporary classical music mm -hmm. he's all about them so right well i mean I but guess you he'll give me a pass he likes he likes some polish guys too i was gonna say you know well i guess you know mozart and basically beethoven were germans but i don't think right, that they right but i don't know if they did operas in german they may have done oh yes one. they did yeah, there was a whole drama about it, about wow. whether or not you could do an opera in German. Oh. Yeah, but anyway. But anyways, yeah. John Paul II. So yeah. you, you actually got, you sang for him. Then then did you actually go shake his hand or what happened? I did. Oh my gosh, Jeff. I was like 16 years old uh -huh. and I was really Catholic. Like when I'm saying that I was Catholic, like my whole sense of self mm -hmm. was defined around Catholicism because I was a smart, fat, mouthy girl okay. in school and I got bullied a lot. All right. So church where I was, you know, a musician and church and drama, drama in school, mm -hmm. the music program at church were happy places, were safe places, right? right so, yeah. but um, my mother has this incredibly embarrassing picture of me mm -hmm. in which there's a bunch of us around John Paul II and the expression on my face is like those expressions of the, the old pictures of girls in the front row at Frank Sinatra concerts. Okay. You know, where they have their arms reaching out and they're like, oh my God, Frank. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, um, but... I did, he did bless me mm -hmm. and I did also get to touch his hand and, you know, shake, essentially shake his hand. I mean, he sort of touched me. And I remember thinking at the time, probably because my mother grew up on a dairy farm, mm -hmm. this man has never done a day of hard work in his life. Why? Because his hands were so soft or his what? His hands were so soft. Mm. Yeah. And, but it also conveyed this sense of gentleness that was very nice. Mm. I mean, I even then had some political differences with the Pope. Right. Um, but I was still, you know, a lot of, a lot of progressive Catholics of which there are many, I know mm. many myself play this game of sort of, political and theological juggling right like trying to keep all your balls in the air how you feel politically right. how do you feel about re reproductive rights how do you feel about you know transubstantiation right the the belief that you're 
literally ingesting the body and blood of Jesus. Like, mm -hmm. how do you feel about that? Um, and, but for me at that time, mm -hmm. there were just a couple political things I didn't like so much and I just chose not to think about them. Hmm. They were like in the closet, as you might say. Okay. With a couple other things yeah. <laughs> that came around when I was 17. Uh -huh. And what happened when I was 17 is that I came out. Okay. Yeah, that's, um, um, that's pretty brave back in those days. Yeah, it was late 1990. Mm -hmm. And, right? Yeah, late 1990. And um, my mom actually told me. I was all nervous and worried. Right. And I had, was talking to my mom and she said, look, Katie, we know you're gay. It's mm -hmm. fine. Come mm -hmm. home, have dinner. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I'm not. I mean, I am. I mean, sometimes. Uh -huh. I guess so. <laughs> and um, so my parents were fine. My parents were great. Okay. She kind of stole all my thunder, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're 17. You wanted something exciting to happen. Mm -hmm. And something exciting did happen, hmm. which is that I lost my entire community oh wow my whole religious community almost without exception turned their backs on me so when you're saying you're coming out did you say that you just told your parents or you basically just told everyone i and pretty much burned the closet door down and, and let me ask you this because you know obviously yeah. i'm not gay and so i don't know how that obviously wouldn't know how that experience is but when someone comes out mm -hmm. i mean does that mean they tell the world or they just start with their f closest family and friends mm. or how does that really you know it seems like some hollywood what does that really mean yeah like hollywood people like they announce it on twitter or something nowadays you know what i mean <laughs> it's like a big announcement but for the average person right. yeah um it's interesting one of the the sort of superpowers of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, queer, transgender communities all of us have is this storytelling superpower. Oh, interesting. And the reason it's a superpower is that all of us have had to go through this process of like, oh, I'm different. Mm -hmm. I'm not the way other people expected me to be and so there's this story that people call the coming out story mm -hmm. and it used to be that people would ask each other like oh what's your coming out story wow you know and um we also talk about coming out to yourself yeah right so coming out to yourself is the realization that this is how i'm different like, this is another piece of the puzzle. You know, for me, it was that I had fallen in love with my best friend. Okay. You know, so. Um, and then there's coming out to people. Like, I came out to my mom. Right. And that might be the end of the story, right? I might have just come out to my mom. Right. But at the same time that I this was happening... The faculty senate at the university where I was going to school was debating whether or not to include sexual orientation in their non-discrimination policy. Hmm. And so I wrote a letter to the editor, which was about as close as I could get to Twitter, I suppose, at right. the time. Yes. That's probably, <laughs> um, that's probably pre-internet those days. Not quite, but you know um i mean we had like bulletin boards and stuff mm. um yeah so i wrote a letter to the editor and i was quote unquote out in the letter um which meant that people knew right like people in the choirs that i had sung in knew people because mm -hmm. i already had a lot of gay friends mm -hmm. on campus mm -hmm. i had become I got my support system all kind of set up ahead of time. Were they mostly male or female? Um, at that point, they were mostly men. Yeah. Honestly, they were mostly men. Mm -hmm. um, and then I got really involved in um, what was then called women's spirituality. 
mm-hmm. after a period of like, I have no church, the thing that was so important to me, it's completely hypocritical and ridiculous. Mm-hmm. They kicked me out for something that has been true my whole life. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like I, at first, I felt like I didn't lose my religion. My religion lost me. Yes. You know, but then I was furious mm-hmm. right, <laughs> for a while. Um, and then when I was like 19, 20 years old, I started really exploring this idea that God, so to speak, or the divine, like whatever mm-hmm. it is that holds the universe together, right, is not just a guy, right? Is not just um, a father, right? Not just a father, not just a son. And also not necessarily just um, a wind sweeping over the waters, which is what it says in Genesis, right? The spirit. Whoosh. And that there could be quote unquote feminine elements to the divine and to creation and how creation happens. Mm -hmm. And I read this book called The Spiral Dance that came out in 1979 came out on Halloween of 1979. And it totally changed my life, Hmm. that book. Wow. Um, Yeah, because it opened up this world where, oh, the divine, we have to be able, in my tradition now, Stone Circle Wicca, Mm -hmm. we have a saying, which is that all people need to be able to look into the obsidian mirror of the divine and find their own face. Hmm, Interesting. You know, by which we mean non-binary people are children of the divine. Mm -hmm. Trans people are children of the divine. Queer people of all stripes, straight people of all stripes, you know, people who discover when they're 50 that they've fallen in love with someone they never expected. We all are welcome and we're all children of the divine. That is a huge, important part of the tradition that I'm part of now. Mm-hmm. And it's important in Unitarian Universalism as well. Mm-hmm. My sort of other half where mm-hmm. I'm ordained. I went to a long time ago, a Unitarian Universalist church. I'm ass- when you call it, I'm basically, I'm assuming that's what you're calling it. Unitarian Uni- Universalist, yeah. I mean, is, Or um, UU, it's yeah. a mouthful, I'm right? I'm assuming so it's basically... You, you, um, yeah. and we usually talk about them as congregations, right? Because well, it gets a little complicated in Unitarian Universalism. There's a chunk of folks who are like, "No, I had enough church. Church was bad. It hurt me. Christianity, especially, mm-hmm. is not okay with me, and I don't want anything to do with it anymore." Mm. And what's interesting about Unitarian Universalism, of course, is that rather than having a a set creed or like a set of theological beliefs we have principles about how we agree to live together mm-hmm. ethically right so you can have jewish you use and you can have atheist you use and you can have christian you use you can have mm-hmm. all different kinds of you use so mm-hmm. When people talk about me, they would often say I'm either a pagan UU or a Wiccan UU because mm-hmm. um, Wicca is a kind of paganism or neo-paganism. Right. Let me stop you there and catch a question here. Oh, I'd love a question. All right. It said that, well, the question says that you said that the church turned its back on you since Catholics are basically also a type of Christianity. Aren't uh-huh. they supposed to be forgiving regardless of their viewpoints? Hmm. Aren't they supposed to be forgiving regardless of their viewpoints? Yeah, you know, I thought generally, well, I think, you know, Christianity is mo- mostly about forgiveness, right? In, um, it's interesting. Before he was ever Pope, the cardinal who became Benedict the First, okay. Karl Ratzinger, had a, a big hand in writing and updating the catechism of the Catholic Church, in which he said 
that homosexuality was inherently disordered. And elsewhere, he said that it was based in an intrinsic evil. Wow. Um, yeah, strong language, <laughs> strong, strong language. And and so, I mean, if you look at um, if you look at the the teachings of the church that emerged, there are people who would say, "Oh, it's fine for you to be gay." But since nobody's supposed to be having sex out of marriage, you just can't, you have to be celibate your whole life. Mm -hmm. Right? It's sort of a, you know, a mandatory celibacy uh, card. Uh, right. You can just have the <laughs> desire. You just can't act on it. Act on it. Right. right. And um, a lot of people find that really uh, a difficult and or impossible way to live and not a life-giving way. To live. Right. So, but as to the question, shouldn't they forgive? My response is like, forgive what? Yeah, that's a good entry. Yeah. You know, that's like, true. what was yeah. there about me that there was to forgive? Right. I guess you're right. It should be acceptance. I mean, from my point of view. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. For Let sure. me ask you this if you ever heard about this at the Catholic Church. I heard that one time, I think it was during Ratzinger's. Mm -hmm. time or maybe just before but they somebody had came out someone in the church came out and said if there are aliens out there it's okay because they're all under god too that was some kind of official release from the catholic church and i was surprised <laughs> about that that they when they would be talking about aliens i have no memory of this but i can imagine that being consistent with Catholic theology for sure. Mm -hmm. Like aliens would not pose a threat mm -hmm. to the idea of Catholic theology because, okay, they would, they just have to have the same rules as we do. <laughs> like right, yeah. if they're, if they're they sentient do. enough to get to us, yeah. they're probably, if they're from know, another planet, they're still under God's rules. They're so. still under God. Right. Have you ever read the Da Vinci Code? And if so, what do you think about that? I have read the Da Vinci Code, but I read it when it came out. Okay. Which is some time ago. And the whole, as I recall, and you'll help me, I'm sure. Um, as I recall, it covered a lot about this whole idea of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Right. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And which also shows up in the Passion or The Last Temptation of Christ mm. as well, the book and the movie. Mm. Um, and there is also among the Gnostic Gospels, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. Mm -hmm. um, and there is some evidence, evidence might be a strong word, there's some tradition that there was tension between the Apostle Peter and Mary and Magdalene, hmm. that Peter was threatened by the place of women in Jesus's disciples, and Mary Magdalene and Mary of Bethany, who was Lazarus's—you probably heard of Lazarus, yeah. Lazarus's sister. Um, but the Marys were among um, important disciples in in Jesus's uh, following, but. I don't think we really know much of anything about about Mary Magdalene and Jesus. Um, although I will say one thing: for an adult Jewish man not to be married would have been worthy of note. Interesting. In the in the Gospels, and it's never mentioned mm. that he was single. And for an adult Jewish man to remain single would have been very, very, very unusual. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. So, how did you? It's almost like you made a big change from Catholicism to Wiccanism. Wicca, yeah. Oh, I don't know if that's a word, Wiccanism, but Wicca. Wiccanism, not so much. And, Wicca. And we, I don't know if you were really into it, but it seems like a lot of people pray to different saints and stuff. So you could mm -hmm. almost go to praying to saints to different multi gods. 
And mm-hmm. if, if, paganism, fact, if the paganism that what you subscribe to is. Right. If, if you're polytheist. Yeah. I'm going to show Jeff something that when it's, this is just audio, because this is just going to be audio eventually. Oh, when it's actually going to be on video too on YouTube. So the YouTubers. Oh, well, the then I'm going to hold you, this up. Yeah. The YouTubers will see it. The people in their car won't. They just can oh, imagine I'm it. Oh, I'm sorry, y'all. Yes. Imagine it. I have a prayer candle. Mm-hmm. You know, those big seven-day candles in glass jars. Right. That is of St. Carrie of Hollywood. And it is Carrie Fisher. Oh, wow. With her dog. Uh-huh. <laughs> as a prayer candle. And it has a little prayer on the back. To oh, that's Blessed so cool. St. Carrie of Hollywood. Yeah. Carrie Fisher. I have bipolar disorder. And so Carrie Fisher, who also had bipolar disorder, is very important to me. And after she died, my friend, um, my best friend, gave me that candle. It's kind of a joke. Mm Kind of not a joke. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think it's great. So you were asking about sort of making the leap. Right. From Catholicism to Wicca. This transformation. Yeah. It's interesting because there's something that people... Some people get right away and some people don't, which is that, so you have Catholicism where you have a lot of ritual. Yes. Right? You have like the sacrament of the Eucharist and you have people in lines getting their bread and wine and you have the readings and you have often music. You have all these different parts and pieces that fit together to create a whole religious experience. In Wicca, especially the way that we practice it in my tradition, Stone Circle Wicca, and I say mine, meaning just the one to which I belong. Yes. Um, not like it belongs to me. Right. <laughs> um, we have that too. Like we have certain elements of ceremony and ritual that go together to create a larger religious and spiritual experience for people. Mm-hmm who come and so there's a way in which jumping from catholicism to wicca is a much shorter jump Mm. than jumping from say uh being even being like presbyterian or methodist yeah. The the churches that don't have as much what my father would call pompous circus dance, mm-hmm. um, pomp and circumstance about them, that the leap into Wicca is not as far because we have the incense, mm. we have the candles, we have so the liturgy, right? The worship experience in Catholicism is something that I found when I found Wicca. Mm. And it was really comforting. Interesting. Yeah, I would feel that Wicca would be a lot more fun. It's a lot more fun. Yeah. It's much more fun. I mean, first of all, we have a lot more bonfires out in the middle of the fields and uh-huh. at, in the summer dancing around in however many pieces of clothing you'd like. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, depending uh-huh. upon your brand of Wicca, but right. I can say that for my brand of Wicca. Right. <laughs> um, and our holidays, we have eight major holidays. They're roughly every six weeks around the wheel of the year, mm-hmm. are tied to um, largely, not exclusively, but largely Celtic ideas of a, an agrarian holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of them, Beltane, May 1st, May Day, is particularly about like flowers and sex and happy beneficial pollinators getting it on with tulips mm-hmm. and we have the dancing of the maypole and with bright colored ribbons and a flower garland um standing as the the tree of life or the axis mundi right the idea of the the pole around which the rest of the universe turns. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. We get to be a lot more creative, too, about what we do mm-hmm. for our ceremonies. Uh, in your group that you belong to, would you say it's equally distributed men and women, or the, or is there a majority of one? 
Oh, interesting question. In my early days, it was almost entirely women. Hmm. My early days, almost entirely women. Now, if I think about who, there's probably more women, um, some non-binary people, some cisgender men, um, but it's not, but it is spread out. Spread out. You know. What about what about just a breakdown of just maybe gay versus straight? Is there a it was well, it is it pretty in, equal in, or in Stone Circle Wicca in our mm-hmm. in our tradition, mm-hmm. we are a very queer centering tradition. So which by which I mean we have <laughs> this mm-hmm. is gonna sound funny. Mm-hmm. I mean Straight people are allowed to come. Right. You, you, <laughs> you won't say, to. hey, no breeders allowed. No, right. We do <laughs> not. We do not say that. <laughs> and so there are certainly are people in the tradition who would identify as straight or heterosexual. Right. And, um, but a lot of us don't. It has been a haven mm. for many people um, to be included where they have felt excluded in other traditions. Yeah, and just, of course that's true in Unitarian Universalism too. Right. And I was just going to ask you that. Maybe it's just a place for everybody to feel included. I mean, not everybody, not everybody wants the same thing, right? I heard once an Orthodox rabbi say that religion is like medicine not everybody needs the same prescription. Right. Right? Right. We do our best in Stone Circle Wicca and in Unitarian Universalism, and we fail in both traditions, but we do our best to be as inclusive and as welcoming as we can. Yeah. Let me catch another question here. Great. All right. Here's one. Uh, We haven't really touched this subject yet, but do spells really work? Ah, magic. Yes. Um, I have a dear friend who is uh, also a teacher in our tradition. I'm, I'm one of the teachers in our tradition, and he's a teacher too. Mm-hmm. And um, he talks about how, on one hand, there are the things that you have no control over okay. at all. They're just going to happen or not happen. On the other hand, there are things that you can absolutely do in the material world. You want to get a job? Apply for some. Mm-hmm. Right? Who shows up for that job besides you? You don't have any control over. Right. Magic is the place in between. Hmm. Magic is the space where... Um, one definition of magic is changing consciousness at will. It's a, a sort of late definition of, of magic. So a spell, per se, is usually, in my view, the most likely to work when you're doing it on yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? Like when you want to change your mindset, mm-hmm. you want to change your outcomes, you want to change your perspective using tools like string, like herbs, like um, rocks, salt, ashes, um, dirt, dirt, mm-hmm. very important, water. <laughs> um, any of these elements can become important signifiers, right? Important um, symbols that speak to our own subconscious. Mm-hmm. And so the more you can affect your own or someone close to you, their subconscious, the more likely it is to quote unquote work. Mm-hmm. Now, there are people who have been trying to hex other people for at a distance for generations. Like mm-hmm. right now, the person occupying the Office of President of the United States, I know there's been a coordinated effort by witches around the country to hex him. Mm -hmm. Um, 
for real. Like that's a real thing. And uh, hmm. you know, I don't know if it's working or not. It's hard to tell. The proof will be in the pudding, I suppose. And living in Portland, Oregon, I'm feeling like the proof is not doing so well in the pudding. All right. What do you think about evil eye? Because in some cultures, people will even wear a necklace that I believe looks like an eye to absorb other people's evil eye. Mm-hmm. There are many traditions, um, particularly in Central Europe and North Africa, the Middle East, um, and to a certain extent other other places that have this idea of the evil eye right which is basically when a person of power a person you experience as having power looks at you give you know gives you the gaze of power that is going to put you down mm. in some way now what is more common when people talk about the evil eyes that they're talking about witches or you know in um in spanish bruja mm -hmm. a witch um who is somebody outside the community right somebody who is seen as other and seen as dangerous because they're seen as other and that person is presumed to cast the evil eye and Usually, I think it has more to do with who we consider in our in-group and who we consider to be in our out-group. Mm -hmm. And that we want to protect ourselves from people we don't understand. Right. Talking really fast. I'm sorry. Right. No, you're not at all. I'm, I'm <laughs> okay. totally fine. I'm just kind of trying to think that. You kind of touched on it already with hexing, but mm -hmm. I don't think from what you're saying, unless it's from someone of power, and maybe if you're susceptible to it, that you really you can't be attacked by a curse or an evil eye. Well, I think if you feel unsafe, like let's say I felt unsafe, like I felt like there was somebody who wished me ill. Right. And I felt really unnerved by that. Something I might do is wear a mirror around my neck. Hmm, or put one on my door. Oh, interesting. And that would be to remind myself that I offer back in some way what is sent to me. Hmm. So the good that I receive, I also want to return to um, the world in whatever way that I can. And if harm is wished on me, I want it to bounce off. Yeah. Right. And that's what I mean about affecting your own subconscious. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's an interesting idea, especially then wearing those type of evil eye necklaces. I like mm -hmm. the idea of a mirrored one even better. Mm. Yeah. I, I'm fan. I'm a fan of the mirror yeah. thing. Uh, yeah. And interesting that we were talking earlier, and this is maybe a good way to kind of segue is, is that you know, talking about what people are susceptible to or what they believe in is also mm. is why do people make good choices and why don't they? Yeah. Well, what you know and what our listeners and viewers don't yet know is that I do teach about the formal process of discernment. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, this coming August 3rd, I will begin my next class making hard choices, the art of discernment. And um, that class is very much about taking apart some of the ideas that we have about what we want, how we choose, what we long for, and understanding what is underneath them for example mm -hmm. one of the exercises that we do is you think about like i want xyz amount of money to come my way this year well i suspect 
that rather than XYZ amount of money coming this person's way, what they want is a feeling state of security, comfort, and generosity. And so focusing on developing that feeling state of comfort, security, and generosity and calling on it, mm-hmm. which actually it is kind of a segue to what we were just talking about because mm-hmm. it is a, a kind of magic, right? Right, yeah, exactly. Like imagining in your mind, filling up with that sense of security. Right. Like I am okay. I am going to be okay. And um, so like that's one exercise that we do. Um, we also do a similar kind of exercise that I just call the list because I've never thought of anything better to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not a pro-con list, though we also talk about the tried and true pro and con list. It is a list of what you most, most want in your mind's eye when you think of a big, big decision. How do I want this to look? How do I want to feel? What do I want to experience? And so, for example, when I was living in the hot, humid, awful Washington, D.C. area, my my wife and I made a list about where we would like to live. And we thought, well, ideally, I mean, if we really admitted to what we really, really wanted, then we would live someplace like in a maybe a second tier, third tier city. Ideally, we'd have both mountains and ocean accessible to us. We'd like a pretty liberal area and it would have to have um, welcoming yoga and uh, a really strong queer community for us to connect with and work for both of us. That's a pretty tall order, right? Right. Like Mm -hmm. the list, that's pretty specific. Yeah. And now I live in Portland, Oregon, and my wife works from home here, Mm -hmm. and I do my work. And the ocean is an hour and a half away, and I see Mount Hood every day when I, or I did see her every day when I went out. I don't go out as much now. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, the climate is perfect for us. And again, that's not about the idea of a charm. What it is, is aiming your whole self at what do you really really want so like when you first make the list it's kind of a joke but but i i do do this you write draft at the top really big because it's important to think about what are deal breakers Mm -hmm. on your list for example I once made a list because I was longing to have a girlfriend, made a list, included a bunch of things, neglected to include that I wanted somebody like emotionally stable, not, for example, an active heroin addict. Yeah. Would have been a good thing to have on the list. And I neglected that on my list. Uh oh. (laughs) Yeah, it didn't go so well. Um, But. So that, those are just two, you know, the qualities of desire that like, how do I want to feel exercise? And then the, the list exercise are ones that we talk about at some length in, um, in the class that's coming up. And then this is like the, but wait, there's more, right? The last three weeks of the class, we play with tarot cards. Hmm and use tarot cards as a way to again communicate with our subconscious and help us aim better at what we want in life what do you think about that um where i live there's actually a big gypsy community here romanian gypsies 
and you see them all over the place doing tarot readings. I've even been stopped in the mall at the food court. Someone come up to me and ask me, do I want a reading? Um, how accurate do you think those are? My experience of tarot, when it's done well, is that it's a key to unlock someone's intuition. Again, ideally, the person doing the reading, say you say to me, Catherine, will you please do a tarot reading for me? The cards come out. And the cards, friends, how they come out, it's random. Yes. That's the the magic, right? (laughs) Right? It's random. Exactly. It is the magic. And people think it's that they're not, that that's not the magic. Like they don't understand that. Right? They think that they come out a certain way and Mm -hmm. each card means exactly this every time means the same thing. Right. And that's not the case. Um, The person doing the reading has to be open to their intuition and ideally in some kind of conversation with the person who has come to see them. Now that's not to say like, like people love to say, Oh, do a tarot card reading for me. And I'm not going to tell you anything because I don't want you to have preconceived notions about, you know, like Mm -hmm. as a sort of a test. Right. But what is interesting about tarot cards is that they are, Two things. One, it's almost like each card is a dream, Hmm. right? Each card has a set of symbols that interact with each other to give a certain message to a certain time, at a certain time, right? When it shows up. The other thing is that tarot rarely tells you something you don't already know in your deepest wisest places Hmm. um that what comes up more often than not i mean i've read hundreds maybe a couple thousand times for people i've been reading tarot for since before i was wiccan so Hmm. (laughs) um and people will be like i know when i when i whenever i tell them they're like yeah I was kind of afraid that was going to be the answer. Oh, wow. You know? So let me ask you about this because I see again, a similarity between um, Catholics and, and uh, pagans or Wiccans is that um, about ghosts and spirits because I mean, the Catholic church wants to do exorcisms you know, so they must at some point believe in some kind of spirit or devil or, you know, inside mm-hmm. of people. I don't know if Wiccans, I would, I don't know if Wiccans believe in any type of, you know, extra well, corporeal spirits around or not. Right, right. What I would say is, I mean, exorcisms are extremely uncommon mm-hmm. in the Catholic Church, extremely so. Um, but what I will say that pagans and Wic- or Wiccans and Catholics have in common is that each of them has a variation on the other's version of ancestor veneration. Hmm. Right? In, in Catholicism, it's saints. Right? In Catholicism, it's saints. Hey, come on. And in uh, Stone Circle Wicca, we talk about offering thanks and praise to our ancestors and to our descendants because we have the good and the bad that our ancestors have left us. And we have a responsibility to live out the good parts of that legacy and leave for our descendants, whether of the body of choice or spirit, um, we have an obligation to live well mm-hmm. so that we can be good ancestors mm-hmm. for the people who come after us. Oh, yeah, I like that. Let me catch a couple questions here. Uh, yeah. One of them is just a statement that the person likes your purple hair. 
Oh, thank you. <laughs> you can tell it's quarantine here. Yeah, I was. I like it too. <laughs> you know, and I, I I really like it too. And I thought about mentioning something, and it's interesting is how I was. You know, I knew it was purple, but then the reflection from your purple shirt. Yeah. <laughs> so I was. I thought that was interesting. And a two thing was um, a question that goes back to um, wearing the necklace mirror, wearing a mirror. Do you mm-hmm. feel like wearing a mirror is more? Um, you know, like practicing an eye for an eye. You know, I thought about that when I was talking about it. I was like, uh, how am I going to say this? Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't, in my view, is that I don't want to cause harm. I don't want to cause harm. Um the role of a priestess in Stone Circle Wicca and of any initiate, any priest, priestess or priestess, is to contribute to the full humanization, the full flowering of human vocation. Um, so for me, it's not eye for an eye as much as it is reflecting off of me. Right. It doesn't have to be like directly back to the individual person. Right. It's it's just not on me. Right. It's just not on me. No. I'm not I'm not I refuse to receive this for myself. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, let me get another I may be splitting a hair. Like no. the the listener may be thinking, You're splitting a hair there and, and well, I'm open to that. I don't I don't I don't think so because you don't have the intent. No. You're just you're just ref- Although I think it would be nice to accept the love, not a, mm-hmm. although yeah. I understand that you're reflecting that back, but um, yeah, it's it's an interesting viewpoint. How well, and of course, I'm not a neutral player either, right? right? It's not the mirror is not the only the only thing going on, right? Like I do receive love in other ways. I don't only reflect it back out into the world. Mm-hmm. I do I do receive harm. Right? Like, people can hurt me. People mm-hmm. can hurt each other. We do it all the time. Yeah. Um, this particular kind of magic or charm is really about, I think it's really about helping us feel safe when we're walking around in a world that doesn't feel safe. Now, let me say something very important here. Mm-hmm. The world is not safe, right? Especially for people of color in this culture, especially for trans people in this culture, yes. for poor people in this mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. It is not safe. So I'm not saying, I'm sorry. You know, trans woman who was murdered in broad daylight in Washington, D.C. If you had just been wearing a mirror, you would have been fine. Right. Do not misunderstand me. Yeah. Right. Like, I'm not saying that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, All right. Here's another one. Um, Calling card of a ghost. Do you believe in that? This is a question. I don't know anything about about this caller but- could you please explain more i've never done a calling card for a ghost but i do um very actively and with great joy celebrate the holiday of Samhain, mm-hmm. which happens on halloween the secular holiday of halloween mm-hmm. and i have a free actually a free zoom call through mm-hmm. my organization the way of the river for Samhain, um, right around that time, when we toast our our ancestors. So in that sense, it's a toast for a ghost, oh, rather than a calling yeah. card for a ghost. Right. Um, let me ask you this. What do you think about the Ouija board? Do you think that's real? I think that's real. I mean, there's all these things, right? Like, things that we don't know and things that can be manipulated by Mm. people to damage other people. Mm. I think 
in my experience, I have never had an, what I would call an intuitive hit on a Ouija board. Like I've never felt one way or the other Okay. about a Ouija board. Like I, so they're you, made by Parker Brothers and yeah. that's all I know. Right. So you never <laughs> actually played it. Have you first played it? And two, if I, you have, I did as a kid. But you didn't really feel like a spirit was really guiding the, the, the board piece. Maybe you just no. were, you were questioning it. Yeah, maybe. I mean, and, um, you know, there are people who practice as mediums. Right. Right. Who talk about channeling right. the spirits of people who have died or other kinds of spirits. And to be honest, I just don't know enough about any of that to comment on it. Right. That's not really where my tradition of Wicca focuses. Mm -hmm. um, we're very much more... Um, we talk about how everybody is a child of earth and starry heaven. Mm -hmm. And that's where we start. Right. Right here. Right. Uh, back to decision making. Why do you think yes. people make bad decisions? And, mm. and a second part to this question is, do you think you make these decisions subconsciously? Like we really don't have as much freedom of choice as we think we do because our mm -hmm. subconscious is making these choices. Mm-hmm. Or are making these choices. Um, I I do think that we often, for example, choose by not choosing. Like we allow our choices to be made for us. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you bring up the question sort of sideways of free mm -hmm. will. Mm -hmm. Right. Do we really have free will? Mm -hmm. Well, whether we do or we don't, I think we need to behave like we do. Yeah. Right. Like we need to have a moral center and behave in such a way that it's consistent with having a moral and ethical center. Um, but I think most of our decisions are made by our subconscious, actually. Mm -hmm. um, they're made by fear of other people. They're made by fear of our own failure. They're made by our old stories that we have about our families. Mm -hmm. They're made because someone reminds us of someone else. And so, we take up with somebody who we think is going to be great. And then we're five years in and think, what the hell was I thinking? Yeah. I'm allowed to swear on here, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> you can say whatever you want. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the things we get at in the very beginning of making hard choices, that class that starts in August, is how to be in contemplation how to do to slow down and not make the snap decision but be willing to be surprised and open to what's coming to you mm -hmm. that you may not have been ready for before right uh speaking of the class what are the best ways for people to get in contact with you like your website my, Facebook, my website Facebook. Yeah. yeah can you tell everybody mm -hmm. that please yeah, absolutely. Um, if you go to the way of the river, don't forget the thes. Okay. Right? <laughs> the way of the river .com, Making hard choices is listed there and you can click on the navigation bar and find out all about it. Mm -hmm. There's also on the navigation bar um, love letters. Hmm. And love letters are the letters that I send out to my peeps about every pretty much every Monday. I'd probably get 48 weeks out of a year um, folks receive some kind of love letter from me oh, in their cool. mail inbox. Yeah, it's great. I need to sign up and for that. Yeah, you should. You totally should. It's great. Yeah. Except when it's terrible, but you can't knock it out of the park all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the other way is the Way of the River Facebook community group. Okay. And we have about 460 some people in that group and we mm -hmm. have a great time oh great what do you do on the group or in the group i um, should say well one of the things that we do in the facebook community group is on mondays we have what are called beloved selfies hmm. um which came out of a class i know we don't have much time but they came out of a class that a friend of mine took and it was about recognizing your own 
value. Hmm. No matter how you were showing up in the world, no matter how you felt, no matter how you looked, no matter what was going on, that who you are is a blessed and blessing person hmm. and beloved. Um, and so I invite people to share a selfie in the morning on a Monday. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> uh, and write a little bit about sort of where they are, how they doing. And I respond to all of them. And, um, people also check in on the way of the river, ask for, you know, people to think of them and help them in, um, in various ways. And we have a really, a really, really lovely community. And I will also say about making hard choices, the class is capped at 24 people. Mm -hmm. And I am getting close to that number. So if you're interested, mm -hmm. please do go to thewayoftheriver.com. All right. Let me catch another question here. And I'm just going uh -huh. to add to this. Sure. Do you believe in life after death? And do you still believe in a Christian way that you go to heaven? Or are you more now leaning towards reincarnation or something else? Something else. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things that we say in my tradition is that one of the important things about us is that each one of us is unique in all of history and time outside of the concept of multiverses which i'm not getting into right now mm -hmm. we are the only one of our kind and that is not the most important thing about us the most important thing about us is that we are part of the big picture and the big picture is that neither matter nor energy can be destroyed right Law right. of thermodynamics. Right. And so there is a way in which simply by our bodies being let go into the earth in one way or another, even if we're embalmed within an inch of our death, mm -hmm. we, we, the earth will have her way with us eventually. Yeah. And we, all things return to the sea in my mind. Um, of the sort of like the idea of the psychological or the spiritual sea. Um, but I don't think that I will, that I will have my same exact consciousness, you know, returning. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's more becoming reorganized and re- you know, my matter, my energy will not be destroyed. Mm. It'll just be recycled like everything else. So you tend to believe that you do come back then? Well, the problem, and Jeff, this is a but, real problem but for without me. the same consciousness or without, well, with a different consciousness of no memory. I mean, I'm talking about I might be partly in a tree and partly in a robin and right. partly in a black hole. Okay. So... <laughs> Um, but the problem for me is that I have had what I would consider to be very convincing encounters with my own ancestors. Wow. Which poses a conundrum for me because I just said, I don't think I'm going to have uh, a continuing consciousness. And yet I have had experiences that were incredibly compelling Um arguments you know experiential arguments if you will mm -hmm. for the idea that there is some kind of consciousness that continues yeah and that it is around here i don't think it goes some to some other plane right right all right um let me get us uh just a compliment in from from uh, more uh, purple hair no and this compliment is <laughs> i like how you laugh and how positive you are Oh, that's so nice. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Before we wrap it up here, can you give the audience one lasting message? Yes. Pull us through the day here. And you already gave it at the beginning of our time together. Oh. Which is that if you want to make change in your life, if there feels better than here, mm -hmm. 
gentleness and persistence. Persistent gentleness and gentle persistence are the way to do that thing. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. I like that even when I first read that. Oh, good. Did you come up with that? I did. Oh, you did? Yeah. I did. It's my own. It's kind of my thing. It's very clever. Thank you. Yes. I don't mean it so much to be clever. I mean it more to be true, but I'll take clever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 and clever really wasn't the right word. I should say it was very insightful. Oh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, it was great. And thanks so much to the folks who um, sent questions in. I really appreciate that. Yeah, all right. And thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, I wish you massive success with your upcoming thanks. class. Yeah, me too. I hope it fills up for you. And if you guys are thinking about it, you might want to hurry up and get there before it does fill up. Yes. And And there will be a waiting list, by the way, if it fills up quickly, Mm -hmm. which I think it might. Mm -hmm. Um, There'll be a waiting list. I'll probably offer it again in February. Oh, great. If it gets so big, you could even every quarter or something. Yeah, but I won't. You could do it every solstice. I could do it every week. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I love it. It's wonderful. I love the people, and it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's okay. All right, Catherine. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate yes, you giving. You, I appreciate you giving me an hour of your time. Um, have a great evening and you a too. great week. Stay cool. Thank you. You too. Mm-hmm. Bye bye. Bye bye.